thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Well, good morning. Twenty twenty, we do things different. This is our Christmas service in here, all wrapped up in one, as we won't meet again like this until the new year. So, yeah. So it's just it's a, it's a different time, and this is the way we're doing it. But uh, glad to see everyone here. I hope you're ready to celebrate Christmas. Uh, you know, I I grew up as a young boy asking a lot of questions. I was, I was curious, you know, I just asked a lot. I often ask why. Anybody with small children, have their children ask why a lot? Why, why? Well, my mother was very patient, and uh, she, she encouraged my inquisitiveness to a point. And when I realized that I had reached the limit of her patience, she would say, that's just the way it is. Or because I said so. And I knew it was time to, to stop asking questions. But I, I was always asking. Uh, I remember when I was around five years old, I asked my mother, why do boys wear pants and girls wear dresses? And she didn't really answer my question, but she said, would you like to wear a dress like your older sister? I said, sure. So I put it on, I ran through the yard, and I thought, oh, wow, you can run fast in the dress. This is the greatest thing in the world. But thankfully, by the time I reached six, that had worked through my system, and I I got my answer as best I could, I guess. Then when I was a teenager, I remember when I was about 15 or 16, I wanted a, a nice Bible for my birthday. So I asked my parents, and they took me to a Christian store, bookstore, and the, uh, the salesman, and I told him what I wanted, he said, okay, which version do you want? I said, which version? Uh, he said, yeah, there are many English versions. I only knew one. In the church I grew up in, we only used the King James Version. So he showed me all these versions in English, it was amazing to me. I didn't know they existed. And so, and I still brought the King James because that's what I knew and my church used. And I went back to my church asking the people in my church, why do we only use the King James? Why don't we use these other versions? And I kept asking until one day an older gentleman told me, he said, well, son, if the King James version was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. <laughs> and I realized, okay, I don't think I'm going to get an answer here for that question. But then when I was serving in, in, in Africa for a number of years, I noticed that the only meetings that were held on 10 o'clock on Sunday morning were church services. Everyone else, where we lived, was like a desert area, hot during the day, and the evenings cooled off. Everyone else met in the evenings. They would gather in the evenings for meetings. So I approached our pastor, who was a uh, Kenyan man, an uh, African man, I said, what about us changing our services to the evenings when everyone else meets? Maybe people would be more comfortable coming. And I remember he looked at me and he said, well, son, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, that's God's hour. And we would do well to keep God's hour. I thought, who told you that? You know, and I realized when we take the gospel around the world, we take a culture with us. And he had heard about Christ from probably European or American missionaries, and that's the way we worship. And he took it as being, this is God's hour. So I ask why. I, I love to ask questions. I think this year, COVID has made me ask even more questions as, as things have changed so quickly for us with all the changes. I find myself asking many 
many things. In August, even, you know, when we're trying to figure out how do we go forward, do we meet, do we not, how do we, how do, we do this? I remember asking Pastor Zay, why don't we gather in, our, in the neighborhood where we feel like God is directing us in Brickwood, 326, and, and just walk and pray in the neighborhood? He liked that idea. He agreed with me. It's a good idea. So in September, we began to meet every third and fourth Sunday to walk and pray for the neighborhood. I don't know about you, but I enjoy that. I love being out in the neighborhood and walking and meeting people and praying and just praying for the neighborhood. And I really hope that as we go forward as a church, this will continue to be part of who we are as a church, but constantly in the neighborhood, uh, around people, and, and making this a part of who we are. But questioning, I ask questions. And I found myself uh, asking questions around Christmas time a lot. Why do we do the things the way we do? Maybe it's because of I've lived more than 25 years in other countries. And uh, in so many places I lived, there were no Christmas decorations. There was no Christmas music. And even the places we lived was in the Southern Hemisphere, so it was the hottest time of the year. One of our Christmases, the big thing we did, we went swimming in a local pool because we, we needed something to escape the heat. Um, and and one, at least one of the places we lived, Christmas wasn't even a holiday. So I began to ask myself, why do we do certain things at Christmas? Why do we celebrate this way? Have we always celebrated Christmas in this way? So this year I decided to do some research. How, how do we celebrate Christmas in the past as, as Christians? I found it quite interesting. What I found was for the first 300 years of Christianity, after the birth of Christ, up in the 300s, the birth of Christ was not celebrated. Easter was the main holiday. It wasn't during the, until during the reign of Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome, he made Christianity the state religion of Rome. And then at that time in the year 336, a pope called Julius I chose December 25th as the official day for celebrating Christmas. So all those years, there was no celebration of the birth of Christ. We celebrated the death and resurrection of Christ, but not the birth. And a lot of it was, they chose that day because that was the time of a lot of celebrations involving the winter solstice. When people were celebrating the winter almost being over or whatever, and, and the days getting longer or whatever, but it was a solid celebration. So they were they chose twenty fifth, they believed, because it, it helped to Christianize that type of celebration. And even when the Europeans came to the U.S., uh, the pilgrims uh, came to, to the U.S. or to America at the time of this country in sixteen twenty, they were English separatists. They separated themselves from the Church of England have freedom on their own, and they're very orthodox in their character beliefs. And the Bible was clearly showing them something they didn't, they didn't do. It. And so they didn't celebrate Christmas. They didn't believe the Bible was clear on the celebration of Christmas. They didn't celebrate it. And so as a result, Christmas was not a holiday celebrated in America. Actually, for about 22 years, from what I read from the year 1659 to 1681, any celebration of Christmas in Boston was outlawed. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas in Boston for those years. Uh, and so they even said anyone exhibiting the Christmas spirit was subject to a fine. You could be fined for, for celebrating Christmas. That, that seems strange now, but it was at that time. A lot of it was Christmas had developed into a, 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 a riotous time of celebration, maybe similar to Martin Luther. And so it was, it was out, out, out of control in some way. So the church said, no, we can't. We can't agree with it, so they made it a lot And actually, Christmas wasn't declared a federal holiday in the U.S. until 1870. 
So only about 150 years, we've had an Athera holiday where we celebrate Christmas as we do. And the, so many of the Christmas customs and celebrations that we hold now, traditions, were formed in the 1800s. Uh, and also, so that's when we begin to form what we do. A lot of books written, a lot of things written that we, we hold as our traditions and what, what means Christmas to us. And then thanks to the Industrial Revolution and uh, the increase in personal wealth in, in America, our customs have become more and more lavish over the years. So now, of course, part of the Christmas celebration almost it seems is we have Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And this year is expected Americans will spend an average of about $1,000 per person on gifts and decorations. And I think, and then after all this spending, we have Giving Tuesday. I thought, why don't we have Giving Tuesday before? But that's, that's another question. So this thinking of giving during Christmas and gift giving, I begin to think, why do we give? Why is Christmas such a time of giving and gift giving? Even before the birth of Christ, there was a lot of gift giving during this time of the year. As I said, a lot of cultures celebrating winter solstice and they, they gave gifts and stuff. But for us, we see, we trace our giving a lot back to uh, the, the gifts the wise men gave to the Christ child. In Matthew 2.11, it says, In going into the house, the wise, the wise men, they saw the child with his mother Jesus, who married his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gold, gifts, gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now each of these gifts they offered Jesus had a, a very great meaning, a symbolic meaning for the life of Jesus. Gold in the Bible is symbolic of God. It represents the most precious metals and is extremely rare in its purest form. The intrinsic value of gold is established for generations, okay? and it was used always to honor kings. So they brought it to Jesus. So this gift proclaimed Jesus to be king at his birth. And they brought it, they brought it for a purpose. Even they said, we've come to see where the, the new king is born, where the king is being born. So they brought a gift to represent that, and that gift was gold. Frankincense is an aromatic, clear resin obtained from trees in northern India and Arabia. It is used in incenses and perfumes and was treasured for its aroma and eating powers. And it was an ingredient that was used in incense in the worship in the tabernacle, the temples, in the temple at the time. And because of its use in the temple, it is considerably emblematic of Jesus' office as the priest of God. So they brought a gift of gold to say, You're the king. They brought incense and frankincense to say, You are a priest of God. And then the last one, myrrh, uh, it was a spice used for medicine, cosmetics, and anointing oil. It was mixed with oil, this spiced myrrh, and it was used to anoint prophets in the, in the past uh, for the divinely appointed work of revealing God and communicating his will with words to the people. So they, they, they used myrrh as a part of that uh, sacrament or ceremony. It was also, uh, it, was, it was also used in anointing dead bodies, okay? So, so again, his birth was presented to Jesus at his birth, pointing to his life as a prophet, and it was used at his death to anoint his body for the grave. This gift pointed to Jesus as the prophet who would come after Moses. And we know Moses instituted the sacrificial system for sins. So Jesus was the prophet after Moses because of, and we know that. And then, 
It pointed to Jesus as the one who would be the final sacrifice for the sins of all mankind by his death on the cross. So this gives a very uh, simple and great symbols, and people understood that as they gave them to Jesus. And the, the, the theme of giving goes throughout Scripture. The verse that I want to look at this morning and share some thoughts on, and then a couple of verses this morning. John 3 16. It's a verse that uh, many of us have been in church, we've memorized and we've known it for, for years. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I read that verse, I think, God so loved the world. He gave because he was motivated by love, love motivating God to give Jesus to the world. And in John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it said, Love, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. So God acts in love toward us. God gave Jesus in love to us because he is love. That's who he is. And so he acts out of who he is. Just a side note this morning, a major difference between Christianity and Islam is tied up in this, in that God's will, what he does, comes from his character, who he is. That's how we see it. We experience God's love because God is love. But in Islam, it's the opposite. They try to understand God's character by his will. Okay? So in the first chapter, the first verse in the first chapter of the Quran, the Muslim holy book, it says this. When we read it, we say, okay, we understand it, but we don't understand it the way they do. It says, in the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate, praise belongs to God, the Lord of all being, the all merciful, the all compassionate. So it said, God in Islam is all merciful and all compassionate if he chooses to be. But he can change that. He can, he will can change. He doesn't have to be. He could be, but he doesn't have to be. That's how they hear it. We would say, no, he is all compassionate because that's who he is. But they're like, no, if he chooses to be, he can go all compassionate, but he doesn't have to be. And so since his will changes, so does his character. And so in Islam, Islamic people, God is unknowable. Because who can determine how, how God will act? He can change. And so the grass that we, we I finally grass that after living a number of years in the Islamic world, it just changed my, my understanding to say that we serve the same God. Do we? we? The God we serve, He acts from who He is. The God they serve, who He is, is determined by how He acts. It changes. So just let me give that to you. But anyway, go back to giving. What uh, motivates us to give? God is motivated by love. What motivates us to give? I would love to say that I am motivated by love. I, I wouldn't say I am, but many times I don't see that myself. I don't see it motivated. If I'm honest, I'll share this. Three things motivate me to give in the past. The first is guilt. That's right. I, I, I feel guilty. And so I give. That's so right. To deal with my guilt, I give. It's no more obvious when I approach with someone uh, that they appear poor or they tell me they're poor. And I see them having so little and I, 
guilty for having much more than that. Where that's right or wrong or not, I feel that way. And so I responded, so give me even a small amount, lessen my guilt for feeling that way. And I'm not saying what we should do, I'm not giving instruction on whether we should or shouldn't. Even those who approach us on the streets, everybody has to make that decision. I'm just being honest. I feel guilty for having more than others. And so I, I give out of that. A friend of mine who leads a ministry in Los Angeles, ministry, told me that he's often asked by people who visit him there that they should give the people on the streets since they don't know how they'll use it well. You know, if we give it to them, they, they use it well. And he tells them, he said, he said, he can't answer for them, but he says he tends to be more generous in his giving. And then he asked them, he said, have you ever misused what God has given to you? He says, and then he says, if, if, if God treated us the same way we want to treat the people on the streets, what would we have? If God said, well, I don't believe you'll use this, I'm going to withhold from you. It's just something to think about when you're approached on people giving. So I, I, but I deal with that, I struggle with that. I give from, from give, but I don't think that's what God wants me. And so I often wonder, when people approach me, what do they see on my face? You know, if they see I, I disdain, because I disdain them because I, I blame them for my guilt. They didn't come up to me, I don't feel guilty. So I, I can blame them, but they, they see compassion in my eyes. What do they see? Uh, I remind them of the story. I, I don't know the, uh, the validity of the story, but I read in a book somewhere uh, that uh, there was a man who was traveling years ago, just in the, the founding of the U.S., Traveling by foot, and he came to a river that he couldn't cross. It was too wide, he couldn't cross it. He was standing there deciding, how do I cross this river? All of a sudden, some horsemen rode up and uh, stopped on the riverbed. And he said, this is my opportunity. So he went up to one of the riders and asked him if he could help him get across the river. And the rider said, sure, get on. So they got on the saddle with him, and they, they rode across the river. When they got to the other side, one of the other riders asked the man, he said, do you know who was that you asked for a ride? He said, no, I didn't recognize him. And he told him, he said, the one that you have asked for a ride, that you came up to first of all of us, he said, that was Thomas Jefferson, who was soon to be the president of the United States. And then the rider asked him, why did you of all of us ask him for a ride? And he, he replied, he said, I saw compassion in his eyes. And so I asked him, right? I would pray that people would see that in my eyes, compassion in my eyes, rather than some of this thing. So just being honest, I, I give out of guilt many times. Uh, sometimes the second reason I give is I give out of shame. Uh, when giving, I, I feel shame if, if someone gives me a gift, I don't return the gift to them many times. I feel I shame. Um, so I, you know, if I give a gift, I feel is less of a gift or it's not appreciated. I feel shame. Okay? So I, around Christmas time, it, it, I, deal, I deal a lot to avoid the stress of shame. Uh, especially at Christmas. So once to avoid this feeling of shame, I um, suggested to my family, let's just not give gifts this year. Then I don't have to feel shame. And so you can imagine how that one would not go very well. Uh, so but I, I, just be honest, that, that's what I deal with when I come to giving. And then the third reason I feel like I give sometimes is I give out of greed. That may seem strange to be greedy and giving, but I've learned that when I give something, expecting something in return, I'm giving because I, I'm greedy. I want something more than I want to, to give. 
You know, and then if I live out of greed with giving, then I feel like the other person is in my debt. And I can call that debt when I want to or need to. And I, I like to feel that when I have this power over people sometimes. I've seen this in my life and I tend to be more generous to those I feel who can give back than those who have less to give back. I feel like that shows my heart. And that I, 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 you know, someone comes to me and I feel like they ask me for something. Like, I, I can give to you because you can pay me back. But I don't know about you. You, know, you can't give me back. So I'm hesitant or reluctant to give. And sometimes I can justify or rationalize my reluctance to give to those who have less by saying, you know, my giving just enables them to continue in the poor choices or they, they, they don't work. And so I, I, I can rationalize it or justify it. But if I'm really honest, I just don't want to give when there's no opportunity to receive something in return because I'm really, I'm really honest. I just share it with you this morning. This is what I go through sometimes when I, when I look at the opportunity to give. But the Bible says God gives to us from love. He doesn't give from guilt because he made the world and all that is in it for us. He didn't give out of guilt. He doesn't give out of shame because he carried the shame of the whole world to the cross with Jesus and dealt with that there. And he doesn't give from greed because he owns everything. He needs nothing from us. So he doesn't give expecting anything. He gives because he loves us. As I said, we read John 3 16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So it says that by believing in Jesus, we can have eternal life. What is eternal life exactly? Well, in John chapter 17, we read, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Eternal life is knowing true God in Jesus Christ. It is a relationship with God from Jesus. God's gift to us is a relationship with himself. Think about that. He, he, he gave Jesus so that we can have a relationship with him. That's what he wanted is us to have a relationship with him. I was thinking, taking that I can rewrite John 3 16, not trying to you know, write the Bible differently, but just putting the words in, I like to do that sometimes. It would say this, maybe, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but that they know the only true God, Jesus Christ, who you have sent. That they have a relationship with you. You won't perish, but you have a relationship with God. That's why he gave Jesus for us to have a relationship with him. And we know we receive this relationship with God by believing in Jesus. According to this verse, we are perishing because of our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the waste of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we believe that Jesus took our wages of sin by his death on the cross, and we believe only Jesus' death and resurrection saves us from perishing, 
from our sins, we can have this eternal life. A gift given has to be received, and we receive it by believing in Jesus. When we turn from believing, we can save ourselves to knowing and believing that our only hope for life is in Jesus. We can enjoy this relationship with God. When we transfer our trust in ourselves, others, or anything else in this world to give us life. Transfer that trust to give us life to the one who created us to live. We have this relationship with God. According to this, then, knowing God is to live, and not knowing Him is to perish. God knows we can't live without Him. Even though sometimes we may think we are living without God, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In most relationships, we enter to receive something we need or want because we are needy. God, though, is all-sufficient and needs nothing. His only reason to enter a relationship with us is to give us life. And he wants us to give, he wants to give us eternal life with him. A relationship for last eternity with him. That's, that's his desire. And when we know him, we are empowered by him to give to others. When we are in a relationship with God, we can invite others into a relationship with us so that we can introduce them to God who can also give them eternal life. As I finish here in a few moments and the musicians come, ask the question, have you received God's gift of a relationship with Him? If no, what better time to do that than at Christmas, during this season of Christmas? As I close in prayer in a few minutes, you can simply, you can pray simply, telling God you want to receive his gift. You want a relationship with him. I say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he has done for me. I believe. For those of us who have received his gift of relationship with him and are growing and knowing him, are we giving him relationships to others? So this Christmas, as I look at this past year and all the challenges and things we faced, I want to say thank you for the relationships we share here in Bermuda. I do I thank God for the relationships I have with each of you in different ways. And 2020 has challenged us in many ways, but I can say by God's grace, I've grown to appreciate our relationships as never before. And because of that, I want to welcome others to know God and the share of the relationships we share. That's my desire as we celebrate Christmas. That's the gift I want to, to give others. And as I finish and I pray for us and we join in worship here, uh, I want to welcome all who know God. Say, I know God in my life. I have this eternal life that He's given. I received His gift. To participate and take communion. In the, in the chairs on the small glasses and juice and there's a small uh, wafer and this some top and uh, If we can take that together in celebration of the relationship we have with our Father. The juice of the cup represents his blood which he freely gave for the forgiveness of our sins. 
and the wafer represents his body, which is broken, so that we could be made whole in him. As you eat the wafer and drink the juice, thank him. Thank him for his sacrifice. Thank him for his gift that he gave us that we may have an eternal relationship with him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning as we uh, come together to celebrate uh, Christmas season. Uh, and may our celebration be focused on the fact that you gave us a relationship with yourself and Jesus. Uh, and we can then give that to others. We can be in a relationship with others so they can know you as well. Uh, so thank you, Father, for, for that. And thank you for, as we take the communion, may just our focus be on worship and praising you for that. May we worship throughout this Christmas season because we have a relationship with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. 